with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts. We are picking up our study this morning in Acts where we left off last spring. And so our text this morning is going to be Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 26. However, uh, before we read our text, since it's been a while uh, since we've been in the book of Acts, I want to take just a few minutes to remind you where we are in the narrative. And so turn with me actually to Acts chapter 1. So from Acts 11, just flip back a few pages to Acts chapter 1, because I want to remind you how Luke begins this volume, his, his second book. He reminds us that this book is actually a continuation of what he was doing in the gospel. He, he refers to the gospel of Luke, his, his first book, as the account of all that, that Jesus began to do and teach. Which, of course, suggests that this book, the, the book of Acts, is going to be the story of all that, that Jesus is continuing to do and teach. And the first chapters make it abundantly clear that this is going to be the story of all that Jesus is going to continue to do and teach through the work of his apostles. In fact, it is Jesus' charge to the apostles there in verse 8, the charge to, to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the end of the earth. It is that charge that provides the, the general outline or framework the entire book. And so as we go through the book of Acts, we are, we are watching the, the ministry of the word flow out from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The first seven chapters tell the story of the apostles' ministry in Jerusalem. And it's at the end of those chapters that we're told that Stephen, one of the newly ordained non-apostolic leaders in the church, that this minister of the gospel was stoned to death by the Jewish authorities because of his proclamation of the good news concerning Jesus. And we read there in the first verses of chapter 8 that there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So, so here is the transition, the first transition as, as the gospel flows from Jerusalem into the regions of Judea and Samaria. And it is in this section that we read Luke's account of the ministry of Philip as he ministers first in Samaria and then to an Ethiopian eunuch who had come to Jerusalem to worship God. And it is this ministry, the, the ministry of Philip and others like him, that ultimately prompts the apostles to begin ministering outside Jerusalem as well, to, to go into this surrounding region. And of course, it's in the midst of all of this that we read the account of Paul's conversion as he was on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians. He is encountered by Jesus himself on the road, and he is called out of darkness into light, quite literally. And he becomes God's chosen instrument to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Which, of course, sets the stage for the next section in Acts, in which the gospel will begin to overflow even the, the surrounding regions of Judea and Samaria, and will begin to flow to the end of the earth. A move which is 
prepared for and, and validated by, by God's own Holy Spirit through Peter's uh, encounter with Cornelius and Caesarea. And that's where we're picking up the story this morning. We, we are picking up the story just as the, the gospel is beginning to flow out of the, the regions around Jerusalem, out of Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And in verse 19 of, of chapter 11, we will hear an echo of chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, where Luke tells us that this persecution that arose following Stephen resulted in the gospel not only flowing into the immediate regions around Jerusalem, but even beyond those regions, as far as Phoenicia and Cyrus and Antioch, as the people went about speaking the word, speaking the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the story that we are reading. That's the, the story that will really be our focus for the rest of the book of Acts, as the gospel overflows even to the ends of the earth. But before we hear this passage read this morning, let us pray and ask God for his blessing upon the ministry of his word. Father God, we come to you this morning humbly asking that the, that the same spirit that inspired Luke to write these words would now be with us as we heard, hear them read and preached. May he open our minds and our hearts to receive them as they really are, as the very words of God. May he, may he open, uh, may he work powerfully through them to, to minister to us, to, to renew our minds and transform our lives all to the praise of your that we might bring forth their fruit in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 19. This is the very word of God. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Children, you can come forward to meet Pastor Sam. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Come on up. Yeah, there you go. Some seats right there. Hey, do you guys know what an ambassador is? Do you know what an ambassador is? Uh, an ambassador is a person who belongs to one country but then goes to a different country to represent their people back home. Uh, like there's an American ambassador uh, who lives in England. Uh, they, her name is Jane Hartley, and her job is to talk as an American, talk to the Queen of England, talk to the Prime Minister of England about important things 
from an American point of view. Now, it's a real privilege to get to become an ambassador to a different country. They get to live in a different place with all of their needs taken care of. Uh, they, they get to spend their time having really fancy dinners with really important people. But being an ambassador is also a big responsibility. They are representing, in one way, everybody back home. Well, you guys actually have a job kind of like that. If your parents are members of this church, that means you are also a member of this church. If you haven't taken the same vows as Henry, uh, then, then you aren't able to take the Lord's Supper yet, but you are still a member of this church, and that makes you like an ambassador. You belong to God's kingdom, and you represent God here on earth. Now, that's an amazing privilege to get to be a member of a church. You, you get to hear God's word all the time. You get to know him. You, you get to enjoy life with each other and, and really your whole church family. You, you're surrounded by people who love you and want you to grow in the grace of Jesus. Uh, there are so many privileges to being a member of the church. But there are also responsibilities, too, as a member of Jesus' church. As an ambassador uh, representing God's kingdom, God wants you to share the good news of God's king and God's kingdom with others, with, with your friends here, with your friends at school, uh, kids in your neighborhood. He even wants you to share the good news of Jesus with kids who are most different from you even kids who might even be mean to you sometimes. Because Jesus is bringing all kinds of people to himself, sometimes even the last people that we would expect. Now, if you're a little like me, that all might sound a little bit frightening, a little bit intimidating to, to think about that. You, the truth is you don't actually know how that other person is going to respond when you tell them about Jesus they might not listen at all. But you don't actually have to worry about that part. You aren't responsible for their response. God is in control of that. As for you, God is going to strengthen you to share the good news about Jesus and do everything else he calls you to do as a member of his kingdom. And because our God commands what he wants, and then gives us the strength to do what he commands. That's why we call this good news. Do you believe it? All right. Thanks, guys. You can go back to your seat. If you've not done so already, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. As I said, our, our text this morning is verses 19 through 26, although our focus is really going to be just on those first three verses, verses 19 through 21. And in these verses, we have a, a brief description of a ministry that was clearly blessed by God. We, we see this in verse 21. Luke writes, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. As those who were scattered by the persecution that arose after Stephen's stoning, they, they went about proclaiming the word, and as they proclaimed that good news about the Lord Jesus, a great 
number believed and in faith turned to the Lord. And we're told that this happened because the hand of the Lord was with them. They went in the power of the Lord to to proclaim the good news of the Lord so that many might hear and, and believe and turn to the Lord in faith. This is clearly a, a description of a ministry that was blessed by God. And, and for that reason, I think that it is a, an, an appropriate text for us to look at here on my first Sunday back after a time away, but, but also on the, the first Sunday of a, of a new academic year. You see, this time of year, when we, when we begin a, a new academic year, we sometimes take a, a, a moment to think about, well, what is it that we've been doing and what is it that we want to do in the coming year? The same thing happens when, when you return from a, from a long break. As I reflected on what do I want my first sermon to be when I, when I come back, I, I thought that, well, we might go here, we might go, we might go there, but at the end of the day, I said, you know, really, there's nothing better that we can do than to, to pick up our study in the book of Acts, especially this text, because here we have a picture of a ministry blessed by God. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from this text. In fact, there's, there's three things in particular that I want to draw your attention to this morning. First, I want us to see the the content of their ministry. Second, I want us to see the extent of their ministry. And third, I want us to see the fruit of their ministry. And I want us to see these things because I believe that these aspects of this ministry blessed by God ought to have a profound shaping influence on the way we approach our ministry here at Trinity as a particular congregation of Christ's church. So so first, the the content of this ministry. Notice again what Luke says there, beginning in verse 19. Luke tells us that those who were scattered by the persecution that arose, they they went beyond Judea and Samaria. We've heard that story already. Now we find out that some of those who were scattered went as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. But notice, as they went, they went speaking the word. Now we're told that at first they they spoke only to Jews. But eventually, some of them began to speak to the Hellenists too. They they began preaching the good news of of Jesus the Lord to even the Hellenists. And we'll, we'll come back to that aspect in just a minute. But for now, just notice that the content of their ministry was... The word. The content of their ministry was the good news about the Lord Jesus. It is the ministry of the word. It is the proclamation of the gospel, the the good news about Jesus Christ. It is that ministry that makes disciples. It is the ministry of the word that that brings people to to new life. It, It is the ministry of the word that makes disciples. Christians, as we see that they are called here for the first time. God gives new birth. God gives new life. God transforms hearts. God gives a a life to those who were formerly dead through the ministry of the Word. This is why throughout uh, the book of Acts, the the growth of the Word and the growth of the church are are virtually synonymous. We we saw this earlier, for example, in in chapter 6 where Luke, describing the growth of the church in Jerusalem, says, and the word of God continued to increase. 
As the church grows, the word of God continues to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And he'll do the same thing again in in chapter 19, where Luke describes the the growth of the church in in Ephesus. He, He says, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail Mightily Throughout the book of Acts, the the growth of the word is the growth of the church, and the growth of the church is the the growth of the word because it is the seed of the word, the living, active word of God that makes disciples, that makes Christians. And I believe that, that this shows us that the content of a ministry that leads to faith and repentance, the content of a ministry that makes disciples, the content of such a ministry must be the word. At the heart of any ministry that that seeks to make disciples must be the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And therefore, if we would be a ministry that fulfills our mission statement, we, we say all the time that we exist to glorify God by making mature disciples of Jesus Christ. If we would be a ministry that fulfills that mission, then the content of our ministry must also be the ministry of the word. The ministry of the word, the the ministry of the gospel must be at the heart of what we do as a particular congregation of Christ's church. Obviously, there are many things that a church can do. There are churches that that have all kinds of mission statements around the, the world and even right here in Cleveland. But this is what the church must do. The church's calling given by Jesus himself is to make disciples. That is our God-given mission. And a church can only fulfill that calling by preaching and teaching the word because it is only the seed of the word that that God uses to bring people to life, to bring people to repentance and faith. It is the living and active word of God rightly proclaimed that makes disciples, that gives life not only to our our kids, but to, to people in the community who do not yet know him. It is the ministry of the word that God uses to make people alive in Christ and to train them in righteousness. Of course, we we need to not misunderstand what this means. Christians are supposed to be good citizens, and Christians are supposed to be good neighbors. So it's not wrong for Christians to be engaged in these areas. It's not wrong for them to be active in in politics or or active in doing mercy out in the community. For for example, it is is good for Christians to be politically active, promoting and and, and protecting justice in society. And they can do that any number of ways. Different Christians approach the the call to to seek justice in different ways and in different places. I'm not suggesting that there's only one right way for a Christian to be politically active. But I am suggesting that it is right for Christians to be politically active. It is is right for Christians to be good citizens. That's an appropriate and and righteous thing for them to do. Similarly, it is good for Christians to be engaged in mercy ministry. Christians are supposed to be good neighbors. And they ought to be particularly concerned for those neighbors around them that are poor and, and powerless. They ought to speak for the voiceless. They ought to protect the vulnerable. They ought to stand with the marginalized. These are good things for Christians to do. 
And so these good things are, are, are not wrong. <laughs> they, they, they are not things that, that the church should, should neglect. But we must see that they are expressions of faith and repentance. They cannot be the thing that we aim at. They cannot be the focus of our ministry, but rather the church's mission is to make disciples who will do these things, and the church makes such disciples through the ministry of the Word. Therefore, it is backwards to make political activism or or mercy ministry the primary focus of the church. The primary ministry of the church has always been and must always continue to be the proclamation of the gospel concerning Jesus Christ, the ministry of God's word in God's world. This doesn't mean that everything has to be a Bible study. Again, don't don't misunderstand. There's there's a place for fellowship. If you've been around here very long, you know we like fellowship. We like to have fellowship meals. We like to spend a lot of time eating popcorn at small groups. We we like to enjoy one another's company, and that is right, and that that is good. It's right and good because this ministry of the Word always takes place in the context of shared lives. It it always takes place in the the context of of, of fellowship, of of people gathered together sharing their lives with one another. And so it's right and and good for us to, to fellowship, but we must understand that the heart and 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 focus of our ministry must always be the ministry of this word that God has spoken because it is God's living and active word that is powerful to make disciples of Jesus Christ. So that's something we have sought to do here at Trinity. We have sought to make the word foundational. We have have sought to keep the word at the heart of everything that we do. And we want you to understand that's not just a, a strategic decision We believe that that is the strategy given to us by God himself. God has given us his word that we might make disciples, so that we might make Christians, so that we might make people who honor him in every aspect of their lives. I want you to notice something else here in this text. The second thing I want you to notice is the extent of this ministry, this, this ministry of the word. As I said earlier, this, this passage is a snapshot or a, or a description of the beginning of the gospel going beyond Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth, to going into Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. And you can, you can look up a map later in your, in your study Bible and you'll see that this is the gospel going up into what we would today uh, call you know, the, the northern part of the, the Mediterranean. This is, this is the gospel going towards Europe. But notice, as I said earlier, Those who were scattered at first spoke only to Jews. And in some sense, this is understandable, at least from a human perspective. After all, Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. Jesus was the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham, the father of the Jewish people. And therefore, it would have been easy to assume that that Jesus came as the Messiah. Jesus came as the Savior of the Jews only. Why would a a Gentile, why would a non-Jew be interested in in a message about the the arrival of the Jewish Savior? So you can understand, at least from a human perspective, why when these Jews were scattered, they, they spoke to other Jews. They shared the good news of of the the Messiah with their brothers in Abraham. But that was never God's intention. 
It was, it, God wanted not only the, the geographic expansion of the church, he wanted the cultural and ethnic expansion of the church as well. Long before the, the time of the apostles, the prophet Isaiah had said that it would be too small a thing for Jesus to be the Savior of the Jews only. That is too small a thing, God says. Rather, the coming Messiah, the, the Savior, Jesus the Christ, He will be the Savior of all peoples. He will be the Savior of people from every tribe and, and nation and, and people group. And in fact, even long before Isaiah, God Himself had told Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, that He was being called out and blessed. Why? To be a blessing not only to his descendants, but to all the families of the earth. From the very beginning, God had declared that his blessing was to flow not to the Jews only, but through the Jews to the end of the earth. The inclusion of the Gentiles had always been the plan. The people of Israel had not always seen it. But it had been God's plan from the beginning. This is why Paul can refer to the inclusion of the Gentiles in the church as a mystery. In biblical language, a, a mystery is something that has been there all along, but that has not always been seen. A mystery is, is something that was there but hidden and only now revealed. And that's exactly what the inclusion of the Gentiles is all about. It is a mystery because it was God's plan from the beginning. A plan not always seen, but a plan that God would inevitably bring to fruition. God wanted, as I said, not only the, the geographic expense. He didn't just want his church to extend to the ends of the earth amongst the Jewish people. He wanted his church to extend to all peoples. God wanted to redeem for himself a people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And this is exactly what we see beginning to happen there in verse 20. Luke says that, that some of those who were scattered did what? That they began to speak to the Hellenists. Now this is actually the same word that we saw way back in, in chapter 6. Remember there, there was a, a dispute that arose in the church in Jerusalem. A dispute between the Hebrews and the Hellenists. And in that context, it was, it was pretty clear that both of these groups were, were Jewish. One were the, the Hebrew Jews, those who probably spoke Aramaic, and those who were Hellenists, those who, who, had, who spoke Greek and, and lived more in accord with Greek culture. But technically, this, this word means only someone who speaks Greek. It, it actually doesn't say anything about a person's ethnicity. And so in chapter 6, the context makes it clear that Luke is talking about Jews, Greek-speaking Jews and, and Aramaic-speaking Jews. But here, most commentators believe that, that this language of the Hellenist refers not just to, to Greek-speaking Jews, but to Greek-speaking non-Jews as well. This is suggested by that contrast that we see in verse 19. Notice how not verse 19 ends. Those who were scattered were speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But, we're told in verse 20, but there were some who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also. And so the contrast here seems to be not just between Greek-speaking Jews and Aramaic-speaking Jews, but the contrast seems to be between Jews and non-Jews. Jews, Jews and, and what are regularly called 
Gentiles. Now, now obviously, we, we can't be certain who these Hellenists are, but, but either way, but either way, whether these are, are Greek-speaking Jews or whether these are, are Greek-speaking non-Jews, as it seems to be, what we see here is that, is that the first Christians are beginning to realize that the good news of Jesus is not only for the Jews. It is not only for those Jews who, who strictly follow the Mosaic law. No, it is for everyone. It is for anyone who will receive and rest upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyone who receives Jesus as Lord is received into the kingdom. It is in Christ that we are qualified for an inheritance in this kingdom. It is in Christ that we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And as we begin to see this, as we begin to to see not only the geographic, but the cultural extent of this ministry, it ought to have a profound shaping influence on our ministry as well. First, I I think this means that the, the church as the church, ought to be committed to taking the gospel to every people group, even to the end of the earth. One way we do that here at Trinity is by financially supporting global missions. Now, I want you to hear me say, it is right and good. It is right and good that most of our budget supports local ministry here in Cleveland. All right? God has has made us as finite creatures. That means that we are limited in in time and and space. And in God's economy, we have a a greater responsibility to minister where we are. We have a a greater responsibility to, to minister in our place. But it is not an exclusive responsibility. And so while it is right and proper for us to to spend most of our budget on ministry locally, it is also right and good that we spend a portion of our budget supporting missions to the end of the earth, whether it's in Uganda or Afghanistan or or Japan or or anywhere else around the world. It is right and good for us to to spend a portion of our budget supporting ministry to the end of the earth. But more than financial support, we, we can also be committed to gospel ministry to the ends of the earth by going, by sending some of our own. Again, I want you to hear me say, most Christians will stay and minister in their place. They they will stay and minister in the place where where God has has put them. Most most Christians will not uh, cross the ocean to to minister the gospel in some foreign land across cultural boundaries. And, And that is okay. That is actually right and good. It is right and good for us to minister where God has put us. But we also need to understand that some Christians are called to go. The missions agency of our denomination, the PCA, known as as MTW, Mission to the World, our our mission agency prays regularly that that 1% of PCA members would be called to to go uh, across cultural lines, to be crossed to go to the ends of the earth. Now, there's nothing God-ordained about 1%. <laughs> that's a number they made up, all right? Uh, that, that's, that's their hope. That's their target. They would love to see 1% of, of PCA church members engaged in, in cross-cultural ministry. But it's a, it's a good hope. It's a, it's a reasonable hope. It's a hope that's supported by the Scriptures because clearly we see that some are called to go. And so I want to ask you this morning, it's just simply this. Have you ever seriously considered that God is calling you to be part of that 1%? 
Have you ever seriously considered that, that God is calling you to, to go? As I said, most will not. Most will, will, will minister where they are. But God calls some to go. And I, I pray that, that even from this congregation, God will raise up missionaries who will, who will take the gospel to the ends of the earth. But even if you're not part of that 1%, You can do more than just give. You can do more than just support ministry financially because there is actually a way to take the gospel to to every people group. There's a way to take the gospel across cultural boundaries, even right here in this place. We We can promote the proper extent of the gospel by ministering and and sharing the gospel with every people right here. It's the, it's the nature of our modern world that there are, there are people in, in Cleveland, there, there are people at your schools, there are people at your work, there are people in your neighborhoods from all around the world. And we have the opportunity to minister to them as well. Now again, I know I'm giving a lot of caveats, but, but, but again, I want you to hear me say, in this present age, it is not wrong for us to have different congregations for, for different groups of people. We have Presbyterian and, and Baptist and, and Methodist uh, congregations and no one bats an eye because we, we're just so used to it. It's, it's natural for these people to, to separate. But it's also natural to have uh, churches where there are, are people who speak different languages. There are Spanish congregations and there are Ukrainian congregations and there are English-speaking congregations. And there's nothing wrong with that in this present age. But I want you to understand that every congregation, whatever their, whatever their dominant culture, every congregation must be prepared to receive anyone and everyone from their community who comes. This is something we try to do here at Trinity. It's been our blessing to have members here whose, whose first language is not English. That's why we sometimes sing songs, no matter how badly we do it. It's sometimes we sometimes sing songs in, in Spanish because we're trying to welcome the members of our congregation who, who, whose first language is not English. They're with us because they are, are Presbyterian and Reformed and they, they love to hear the gospel preached. And we are so glad that they are here. We want to welcome them and we want to, we want to enfold them into our fellowship as we seek together to build one another up towards maturity in Christ. And this is the way that it must be. The gospel is for all people. The gospel is for for people from every tribe and and tongue and and nation. And so as a church, we must minister the gospel and we must minister it to everyone. We must minister it to all who come to us, all who God brings through our doors, to to all who, who we encounter in our community. We must be ministers of this life giving gospel. Whatever else we do as a church, this must be at the heart. This must be at the center because it is through such ministry that God brings people to faith in Jesus Christ. It's through such ministry that he enfolds them into his church. It's through such ministry that he makes people into Christians, into followers of Christ who live all of their life to the praise of his glory. And so if we would fulfill our mission, this is what we must do. I I don't have time this morning to talk about the fruit. We'll get to that next week. But for now, just realize this is the ministry we've been given. We've been given a ministry of proclaiming the word of God to anyone and everyone whom God brings into our path. And we can trust that as we engage in this ministry, the hand of the Lord will be with us. 
as we engage in this ministry, Jesus will keep his promise to build his church. And the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. Because while it may seem a weak strategy to to simply take news uh, to people, it is God's weakness. And God's weakness is stronger than all of the power of men. And it's through this word, ministered by his people, that God will build his church. And because we know he will do it, that is one reason we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we come to you now humbly asking uh, that you would be with us in this ministry. Even as we were with the first Christians, Father, may your hand be with us to build your church through the proclamation of your word, even to the ends of the earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.